On 3109 Adeline Street in Oakland, California, stands Guardian Gym, a warehouse-sized nonprofit boxing, kickboxing, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu academy where kids 18 and under not only train for free, but are also fed healthy meals and even have access to a study hall. Today, we talk with Guardian's creator, Ben Kovacs, who left a gainful position at Twitter to pursue his mission to combine a passion for jiu-jitsu with his desire to make martial arts available to anyone, regardless of socioeconomic status, as well as to create an environment where natural mentorship proliferates between adults and minors. So far, Ben has taken exactly zero contributions from large corporate or governmental entities. He describes his business model as a form of volunteer socialism, where grassroots donations seem to arise organically from those in the community and beyond who are inspired by Guardian's mission. After the interview with Ben, stay tuned to hear from a few of the amazing kids who train at Guardian, as well as some of the extraordinary staff who run the gym. My name is Benjamin Russick, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. Guardian is a 501c3 after-school program where we provide kids free boxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's amazing. I just got to look at the gym. It's like a jiu-jitsu martial arts paradise. You walk out, there's two guys boxing and there's weights and there's just space and the ceilings are 50 feet high and it's like, I don't want to leave. To be clear, we just moved here a couple months ago. We were uh, at a much, much smaller location in uptown Oakland where we could mm -hmm. only run one class at a time and fit uh -huh. about 25 to 30 students max. Okay. So this is a major upgrade for us from that starter location, mm -hmm. which was awesome to kind of prove out that the concept worked. Now we're excited for the next chapter. And how did you grow that? How did you get from small to big? Not the most intelligently. I guess it was more of like that one foot in front of the other type thing. I always tell people I had no experience running a gym or starting a nonprofit. So both were new to me. I was working at Twitter at the time. I met uh, one of the other folks, Joel Lunenfeld, who was working there mm -hmm. and I pitched him the idea of what I wanted to do. He said, great. And that's when the ball really got rolling. So we spent about a year doing all the branding and paperwork and everything that comes along with it. And then we spent even more time trying to actually find a space, which is not an easy feat for a new nonprofit in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. You know, eventually we found the space. It was kind of perfect for us. And then it really just started kind of one student at a time. I mean, literally, I just remember there was one student who was coming to the first classes and mm -hmm. then it was two. And it was basically begging people and making excuses of why there was no students there. And right. Eventually it grew from there. You know, the big key that what we do is that we combine the adults and the kids program. So we have a adults program where adults actually pay a sliding scale membership to attend. And then the kids classes are all free, but it's that adults program that provides a lot of the funding for the gym. It also provides natural mentorship for the kids. And it also provides them a place to grow into when they grow out of the kids classes. So we're never turning them off or kicking them out of their program. And as you know, most school sponsored activities are all school sponsored activities and sports end when a student graduates or leaves school. Right. So the unique thing about Guardian is our program never really ends. So we can keep kids coming here, even if they do end up dropping out of school, or if they do graduate and they have a break year, or they go to community college locally, like we can still continue to help those kids mm -hmm. and those young adults who still need the help. And then we're helping a lot of people in the community outside of kids as well. So single moms and teachers and firefighters and police officers and all these folks who uh, the Bay Area is becoming in some way unaffordable, which often means they cancel things like doing martial arts because they have to cut something out of their budget because right. they need to pay for housing and other things. So we like to think of ourselves as a gym for the whole community. That's fantastic. Tell me a little bit about your pricing structure. Yeah. So for the adults program, we have a sliding scale. So we have kind of a standard monthly membership that's around $199 a month, which is kind of on par with other gyms in the yeah. area that offer similar services. Then we have discounted rates at 159 and 129 and then we even have a $99 rate for folks who are teachers and firefighters and EMTs and social workers and things like that. Beyond that, we have a number of adults who are also on scholarship for folks who can't even, you know, afford any of those levels. And so the kind of the, the main goal is just to try to not turn any, anyone away due to pricing. Amazing. We want to find a place for everyone. And then all of the youth students are completely free, completely donation-based. Less than 1% of parents of any of the kids donate money to the gym. So it's essentially a 100% free program for the kids. I will say to those listening, $99 a month for what this place offers, which is Brazilian jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, weights. It's a full gym. It's like a university. 
<laughs> That's an extraordinary deal. And 199 is totally standard and totally fair. How does someone donate to your program? A lot of different ways. So you are right. The thing that we pick up compared to other gyms, it'll make a lot of money from their kids' programs usually as we forgo that element, but we add in the element of being able to get donations. So it's those adult memberships and then it's the donations. Mm -hmm. Donations come from all over the country and even all over the world. Folks donate on our website with a credit card. They send uh, Venmo payments. They send checks in the mail. I think one of the really cool things about what we're doing is we've never received a grant from the city of Oakland. We've never received a dollar from the state. We've never received any money from these big corporations like Wells Fargo and all these folks that you see put billboards all over saying how much they care about the local area. All of our donation funding has come from grassroots, if you will, effort, right? It's been friends of the gym. It's been students like yourselves who train at other gyms around the area who think what we're doing is cool and the mission resonates with them. It's Mm -hmm. a guy who trains jujitsu in Minnesota who Mm -hmm. donates 10 bucks every month on an automatic recurring donation. It's things like that. We've gotten very few, you know, large ticket donations of like over $20,000. We've only got a handful of those in our Mm -hmm. existence in the last Mm -hmm. four years. Mm -hmm. It's almost all sort of that grassroots thing because people just really understand and it resonates with the people like yourself who do martial arts. You know how it's changed your life. It's Mm -hmm. not very difficult to explain how giving that to kids who can't afford it would be something that could impact their lives positively. That's awesome. Do you see changes in some of the kids? Do they seem healthier? Do they seem, do you see the shift? 100%. We see, I would say across the board, kids feeling different. I think just part of it is when you come into a space and you get your body moving, that Uh solves a lot of problems on its own. Mm -hmm. You know, we had one girl in particular here about a year ago who came in. She's about 15 years old. She was really sad. She was kind of crying before class and was pretty upset. And then she went through a jujitsu class that day. And at the end of the class, Caleb, the head instructor, went up to her and said, would you like to like talk about what's going on? Can I help? And she said, you know, I'm glad I came and took class today. I'm actually feeling really good now. Wow. So, I mean, just taking a class, as you know, can totally change your, your <laughs> yeah, mindset right. and, and your behavior by itself. You know, one of the girls who was the earliest to join ever, she was nine. She was really small too. And she joined, we let her join a little early. She came in the first day. She was really scared. Mom watched the class. It was hit or miss whether it was going to (laughs) work. The next day, mom brought her in and dropped her off. And she said, okay, you can go now. And the mom was like, what do you mean I can go? You don't don't let me go from your side ever. But Caleb and the other, you know, volunteer instructors had left such a positive impression on her and made her feel so comfortable right. that she was willing to just tell her mom to leave her alone and go shopping or whatever she needed to do for the day so wow. she could just do the class. Wow, that's amazing. That same youth student actually has another really interesting story. So there's two girls that are roughly the same age, Khadijah and Elisa. Uh, Elisa is from a very traditional Orthodox Jewish family in New Jersey. Uh-huh. The family left and moved here. Khadijah is Muslim. The girls both came to the school around the same time. Neither of them you know, I don't think had ever known or had another friend, nor have the families ever had another friend from kind of the other side of that equation. And the girls essentially became best friends and inseparable in class. Wow. You know, the parents just think it's like the most interesting thing, right? That like jujitsu and guardian really brought these folks together from two completely different walks of life Mm -hmm. who probably would have never had a reason to cross paths, you know, any other way. And uh, it all started by, you know, wrestling and rolling around on the mats together. Yeah. Jujitsu makes everyone the same. Exactly. I mean, we're different physically, but we're all, all, we all want the same stuff. Tap somebody. Do you think this helps with depression at all? Have you seen depression and anxiety reduced in people? 100%. We have multiple kids who suffer from you know severe depression and uh-huh. there's no doubt when they're training, they feel better. And uh-huh. they also, again, I think it's not just the training on the map, but having that community of people that they can call when they're really feeling down and they can't make it to the gym, having that mentor, having someone that they can just be an ear to know that someone's listening, yeah. as you know, can be the difference between not to be overdramatic, but yeah. life or death, right? Yeah. I know from my own experiences, right, and suffering from that sometimes as well, I, you know, sometimes it's really as simple as just going to train and it just changes the mindset completely to worrying about all these little things in your life that the outside observer are probably pretty unimportant and not life or death, but they bog you down, right? And I think especially in this area where we live where everything is so competitive, so hard to get a house, it's so hard to park without getting a parking ticket, it's so hard to get to work and, you know, not get beat up on the BART, you know, like it's everything we do in the Bay Area 
has become, I think, very stressful because of, you know, it all starts with the competition and the high price of housing and the, mm-hmm. the competition for jobs and things like that compared to a lot of kind of middle America or whatever you'd want to call it. And so I think these kids have a tremendous amount of pressure on them from a, a young age, pressure yeah. that we didn't have when we were kids necessarily. And right. you feel it in the way they talk about their testing and yeah. everything else that they're doing. And it just seems, seems a little crazy. Let's just get into the health of the community piece. You know, we're all looking for the same thing in some way, right? We're all looking for a community. We're looking for a like-minded group of people who cares about us, who hopefully gives us an outlet, a positive outlet for our energy. People like you and I, we've met a lot of great, amazing people and we go to the jiu-jitsu gym. That's like our little sanctuary. We feel comfortable there. We know there's a Mm -hmm. bunch of people who have a similar interest to us that we can kind of count on and we know we're having a bad day and we show up there, we're going to feel better when we leave. In a way, that's what we're doing really well, right, is we're very good at providing a home for these kids after school and for these adults who don't have a place to go uh-huh. where they feel like that. Uh-huh. And we make them feel safe. We make uh-huh. them feel comfortable. We make them feel like they have someone that they can talk to. Sasha, who's the managing director of the organization, he spends 20, 30, 40 hours a week just kind of focusing on the kids and making sure that they have everything that they need to be successful from meals after school to rides home to helping with their college essays, so many things, buying them a Christmas present when they can't, you know, they know their family's not going to afford one really goes above and beyond, right? But Uh I would say so much of it comes back to making them feel like they have that community. You have like a study hall, like a place where kids can do their homework? We have a little conference desk out here where there's about 10 kids that can sit around and and work on their homework and get tutored in small groups. But the next biggest project that we want to do here at Guardian is to build a classroom for the kids on top of the bathroom uh, and locker room area that you saw out there. Starting in January, we would create almost like a WeWork space during the day where adult members could come and they could study or work and they could have a place to use Wi-Fi and have the facilities that they need. And then at 4 or 4.30, we would kick them out and then it would become a study hall for the kids after school where they do their tutoring, right. they you know can have their quiet space, they can read books, they can work on their college essays, you know, their SAT prep, whatever it is that they need, because that's really the other components to our program. We draw them in with martial arts, then feeding them healthy meals, getting them educated or help with their education. Those are really like the two byproducts. You feed them. Yeah. How do you how do you do that? Well, we do it through a combination of ways. So right now, well, in our old space, uh, before we moved, we had partnerships with a couple of restaurants, including Burma Bear, who would bring food to the gym every day. And we'd have, you know, 10 to 25 meals every day that we basically put out and the kids could grab them. And then uh, we have three or four employees uh, of Cliff Bar that we're friendly with, mostly from uh, other jiu-jitsu gyms who donate Cliff Bars to the gym so the kids can have healthy snacks. And now about a month ago, um, we just inked a partnership with Postmates. So we're the first Postmates delivery partner for their new program called Hashtag Food Fight. We can essentially order on the Postmates app now from restaurants that have local leftover food, and those restaurants will deliver through Postmates to our facility. (laughs) Amazing. Jesus. (laughs) I didn't realize it was this good. What we realized is a lot of kids weren't eating. What good is it to give them free martial arts and free exercise if they haven't eaten a healthy meal all day, right? Right. If they had a soda and a McDonald's cheeseburger for lunch and they skip breakfast, it's not going to have the same effect. What demographic of children do you see here? So right now we see kids that are from 10 to 18 years old in our core programs. Uh And then we started a five to nine program on Saturday mornings as well, which is sort of a, an intro feeder class, if you will, which uh-huh. is also especially made for parents who right. need a little break where they can kind of bring the kids and either drop them off or like we have a single mom who comes in and uh-huh. she's uh, in nursing school. So she can actually bring her kid in, put wow. him into the class for a few hours and actually study without being interrupted for kind of like the only two hours of her week. Right. right. So it's sometimes I think the kids class is as much for the parents as it is for the kids. Right. right. Especially lower income folks who don't have nannies and they don't have money for babysitters and they don't have uh, maybe the support network in general, right? Mm -hmm. And the flexibility that higher net worth individuals have. So then it becomes even extra critical just to give them that one break. I mean, that might be what saves their marriage. It might be what, you know, allows them again to study. It might be what keeps them sane and keeps them from screaming at their kids that afternoon because they got that little break. And being a parent myself, I mean, I know how brutal it can be when you're in that with a, you know, young child where you just need, everybody needs a break. How long will a child typically stay here? Like once the parent drops their child off, let's say what time of day? 
is most of our kids are 10 to 18. Those kids vary wildly, right? Like the 10 to 14 year olds, 10 to 13 year olds are almost always brought in by a parent or guardian or friend's parent of some kind. Uh As the kids get older, they get closer to 18 or even above 18, then they're usually transporting themselves. And there's a lot of those, we don't even know who their parents are, right? We've never met those parents. So it just depends on the age of the child. And some of the kids stick around very long periods of time and take every class that they can and they're kind of like gym rats and then we try to where we can let them help with volunteering or you know we've given a couple of kids who were old enough jobs in the past as well and folded them into the family because giving a kid their first job is a pretty another big part right of 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 what we try to do and not that we can just hire every kid at guardian who comes through our program but the cool thing is again because of that adult mentorship that we have it's naturally built into the program because a 17-year-old kid who's do, done jiu-jitsu for three years is now on the mat with the adults, right? right? So those other adults are seeing that kid on the mat and if they see them work hard and they like their demeanor and they like their attitude, one of those adults might be the adult that is able to offer them their first internship at a business that they own. Uh, um, and if you think about it, big tech companies face a lot of scrutiny from this, right? You're hiring from the same pool, right? The Stanfords, the the Harvards, the, you know, whatever it is, right? You're the, the same people. It's not even like necessarily a race thing um, or a gender thing, but it's just there's a natural set of people that keep coming out of these pools because of socioeconomic reasons. Sure. So then they just keep kind of getting propelled forward. So our kids that come from lower income families, almost never do they have a parent that can help them get that first internship or has the right connections. By coming into here and being around adults who some of them have that, we've seen numerous kids get their first crack at employment, whether it be at a local restaurant or whether it be you know a tech internship over the summer. It's pretty pretty cool to see. How many students do you have? We have about 150 kids enrolled in the program here. I used to work at Twitter, so we used to call it like daily active users, monthly active users, inactive <laughs> users. So it's, it's the same concept a little bit, right? You've got like the power kids, the kids who come every day, who live yeah. at the gym, who are consistent, who need it every day. Then you get right. kind of the mid middle kids who come, you know, once a week. Uh-huh. And you've got the sporadic kids who come, you know, couple times a month or one thing that's really interesting and I don't really know how to solve this dilemma is that kids are conditioned to be seasonal athletes. Football's for three months or basketball's for three months. The Mm -hmm. thing that we can offer that's really interesting is 365 days a year, rain or shine, hot or cold, rain or no rain, come to the gym and it's almost always going to be open. And that's really special because what a lot of these kids need is consistency. Mm -hmm. So they'll do really well during football season because they're into football or basketball season if that's their sport. Mm -hmm. And they really drop off and they fall into bad habits outside of when that sport is happening. The more kids I think that we can get hooked on these sports, it's going to make a difference in their lives because not only is it going to be consistent for them and there's no excuse to drop off year round, but again, it also provides them a path moving forward. If they move out of the area, they can go find a jiu-jitsu gym Mm -hmm. or a boxing school, anywhere that they land in the world for the most part now. If they stay locally and they go to a community college or a local college or something like that, or they go to trade school or they just go get a job, they can stick with the program and they can stick with the consistency and they don't ever have to leave. What do you think your capacity is? Currently, we have about 340 adults to round out that question. I think we can go to three to 400 kids here. And I think we can go to over a thousand adult members at the gym. Holy cow, really? Again, those aren't all training at the peak hours after work or after school, right? I mean, we have classes in the morning before work and school. We have noon classes. We have afternoon stuff. We have open gym times. Obviously, that's spread out. I don't see with the space that we have now why we can't get to that level. Let's talk about you. Basketball was my main sport my whole life. Playing after college when I moved from Penn State to Washington, D.C., the game started drying up a little bit or they just were more inconsistent when I wasn't in some sort of a league. So I would go to the park after work and sometimes have a great day, get a bunch of exercise. Some days go there and it was totally boring or there was too many people there and couldn't get on the court. And so one of my friends was doing Thai boxing at the Yamasaki Academy in Rockville, Maryland. Uh, I went there to do Thai boxing. There was a pretty girl working behind the front desk. Ever heard? Didn't hurt at all. And I started talking to her and I was like, what do you do? And she said, I do this jujitsu. And I was like, if I sign up for this, we can go out there on the mat and you'll teach me how to do it. And and I'll I'll go on a date with you. And it's hooked. Then, of course, you learn the girls that work at the jujitsu gyms usually like like jujitsu black belts, not the new guy coming out of the signing up. Yeah, y'all white belts don't have a a shot. Don't even try to get a date. How old were you at the time? Uh, I was 24, 25. So I'd been out of college a few years and 
I was hooked pretty much immediately, right? Yeah. From the first couple of classes and their culture at Yamasaki was very inclusionary of like, oh, hey, like you've been here a week. By the way, we're having the UFC fights at Susie's house next uh, weekend. Would you right. like to come? It wasn't like, hey, when you're a blue belt, you can start hanging out with us. And I really liked that. I kind of gravitated towards it. I wasn't into the UFC at all before I started training. It wasn't my thing. My goal was really just to not be claustrophobic anymore. Uh, the same friend who had introduced me to the school, his name's Trip O'Connell out to trip best looking man in the, in the world we we're in las vegas and he had like pinned me down on the bed like just horse playing around and i just remember not being able to move and yeah. get up and how what a horrible feeling that was and i was like i need to learn enough just so i can like not have another grown man pin me down ever because that's the most helpless feeling in the world right that was kind of my original goal from jiu-jitsu and i remember the first year i was like very claustrophobic when someone would put me in side control or uh-huh. you know deep mount and i really hated it and yeah. it took me a while sometimes i would just tap from that pressure right or wow. that like not that feeling of not being able to breathe and then eventually kind of got over that and that was kind of the first i guess victory if you will and that was my start to jiu-jitsu and then i got one of my friends a uh, kind of curtis schaefer i got him into jiu-jitsu i had met him through a friend of a friend in a bar actually you know how you meet 10 people and you tell them about jujitsu and tell yeah. them how and they all say oh great cool i'm gonna come in and i'm gonna call you tomorrow and he was like the one out of 20 that actually did it but he trained so much in judo and boxing and wrestling and uh-huh. of course jujitsu he kind of burnt his body out a little bit and he uh-huh. ended up having a neck and back injury that he's never been able to really train again from oh, no that was a real wake up call for me because I kind of made this decision like I want to train forever. And so I don't want to go down the competition path and win a medal. I want to want to train hard, but I want to really protect my body. So this is something I can do for a long time. Right. My jiu-jitsu friends make fun of me for that, right? They're always like, you don't ever compete. Um, and I always joke, well, I'm an undefeated competition fighter. So, you know, watch how you watch how you talk to me because I'm still undefeated I, yeah, in competition. I want to mess up my rec, my perfect record. <laughs> I I kind of figured out over time, like I was never going to make my mark in the sport as the world's greatest athlete. I was not going to be the next Gordon Ryan or right. Keenan Cornelius or Leandro Lowe. But right. I started going to different schools from moving from the East Coast and attending Yamasaki and then yeah. joining Half Gracie Berkeley and then starting to train with Kurt and that crew at Half Gracie San Francisco and then uh-huh. just visiting other schools and taking a little bit from each of the schools that I loved and combining them with something that I thought made a lot of sense, which was really, really derived from doing the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. So I had a little brother and he just was not interested at all in doing jujitsu. And he wanted to go rollerblading and he wanted to do all these different things. But I just, it was hard, you know, working five or six days a week to then take a whole afternoon on a Sunday and just go rollerblading in Hayward. And I always thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could just go to the gym? He also wanted to go to the gym. We could train together. I could take him to get a burrito. I could go drop him off at home and I would be doing what I want to do. And he would be experiencing this great thing that I'm passionate about. And so Guardian was in some ways kind of a little bit of a genesis from that, right? Of like, thinking there was a different way to do it, but then also combining it with this experience of doing Big Brothers Big Sisters and realizing there was thousands of people like me just in the Bay Area alone, tens of thousands, that they want to give back to their local community. They want to do something, but they just don't have the time right. to, to spend one day a week volunteering on something that doesn't align with their passion. And so I always call it like natural mentorship, right? Where like the people are coming in, the adults are coming in here, they're stoked about jujitsu. They can't help but help the kid on the mat. They can't help but donate $10 to buy that kid a burrito. They can't help but, you know, want to help them get the uh, their first internship or job. It's that natural, authentic element that makes Guardian special because all of us adults are here doing something that we want to be doing anyway. So it's not hard. We're not asking people to go pick up trash on Sunday on the side of the street, right? We're not asking them to do something they're not interested in. It's just something that they want to do anyway and it all just folds in together wow that makes a lot of sense and how how um you have a day job (laughs) is this your day job i worked at twitter when joel and i founded guardian not long after we opened the doors i met sasha and sasha and i kind of became co-runners if you will of the gym like Uh boots on the ground kind of hit this point where i was like you know this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to do something really special I can either stay at Twitter and just throw money at the problem and make it work that way, or I can stop working at Twitter, go all in kind of full time, try to build the culture and you know make sure everything's the way that I really want it to be, right. ideally. Made the decision to quit, which was hard because I had a good job at Twitter that I liked and was very good pay, great benefits, a lot yeah. of great people. How does it feel to be at 38 to be living? It sounds like you're living kind of a, your dream life, I mean, to me. 
there's two sides to it, right? Like some days I feel really great. Like what you just said makes me feel good because you're, you know, I see where you're going with that, which is like really cool what you built. But there's always something else that needs to be done and something that's not perfect and something that's, you know, for example, we're opening Guardian Baltimore right now. Oh, so really? that's a whole other thing we can talk about. Oh my God. But, um, <laughs> okay, you know, I, I feel, I feel like I have this problem as soon as like we conquer one thing, there's always like this next big thing to do. Right. And so sure. I have trouble really feeling settled completely. You're a man with a mission, the life you're living, the, the idea of the natural mentorship where you worked in your passion with your ability to give back to the community. You were able to train jujitsu and teach. There's something very cohesive. And I guess, I guess what's the word be congruent about your life, at least from my perspective, you're living a life that you believe in. Yeah, I, I guess I, I tell people I kind of did life backwards. There's so many people that are, they're like, look, when I make my first 50 million, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to quit and I'm going to give it all back. I'm going to be 72. Yeah, it's dumb. And, you know, <laughs> you don't need $10 million in the bank to do something like this, right? Yeah. I also think that the definition of like a really rich person is how many how many people you can go stay on their couch for a month. And <laughs> that's cool. That to me, that's a lot bigger than the bank account. And I felt like I already had a lot of that in my life and a lot of great friendships. But I mean, obviously, I think with Guardian, it's only expanded. And yeah. I think this thing about everybody like needing more before they do something is the real problem. I, I can't tell you how many people I know in the Bay Area that have t- literally tens of millions of dollars and like they have nothing, like they have no passion project set up. Yeah. They just kind of go do the bare minimum and they uh-huh. end up. Uh, gala because their friend invited them and they buy a painting for $1,200 and do some sort of donation that their accountant recommends at the end of the year. And to me, that just seems crazy. Like it seems so crazy knowing how you can do something, especially do something at a young age that you really care about that can help a lot of people. And I think that sickness of this never ending saving and always trying to get to the next zero is so much of the problem, right? We have a world of abundance, but we kind of make it scarce. We make it scarce by so few people controlling all the resources and giving your kids 20, 50, $100 million trust funds while the kid down the street around the corner can't even eat. Like that is disturbing to me. For me, I have college funds for my stepson and my son. Uh I have enough money in there to have their college paid for when they're 18 and that's it. Like, you know, my will says that's all they get. I I saw this tweet from Jeff Bezos a few years ago that really made me sick, which was like, said something like, I'm a, I'm a long-term business thinker, but I'm a short-term, I'm a short-term philanthropist. I want to see ideas that can help today. And I know what he was saying, but I also was kind of like, I mean, how far do you have to fucking look? Like walk out your front door. Like, I mean, there's ideas and there's people struggling everywhere. And like to amass a hundred billion dollars while people are starving and kids are it just that just seems crazy to me. If I were running a charity, I think I would walk through schools with a clipboard and just say, "What do you need?" If I would patch that wall, okay, uh, all right, pencils, all right. This is kind of a far flung idea, but <laughs> I would love it if there was some sort of fund to pay for jujitsu injuries. Because mm. a lot of guys, a lot of women, men and women, get really seriously injured, and a lot of those people that devote their lives to jujitsu don't have a lot of money because mm. that's all they do is train, and then they get really seriously hurt. I would love one day to see something like that. That would be awesome. Another thing I'd like to see is all of these companies, especially in the Bay Area, I'd like them to fire all of their philanthropy teams and just put all of that (laughs) wasted money into giving it to the people who actually do work, right? Yeah. Do you know how many people work at like a Kaiser or a Wells Fargo or a Google to like be on these committees and these teams and like go to meetings to talk about who they're going to help and they have office space and travel budgets and dinners and yeah. like what a fucking waste of money a lot of charities just exist for the uh, i was reading an article about this a few years ago that they just exist for the sake of their own existence it's like honestly a charity really should be working itself out of existence it should be spending all of its money until it's not there anymore a lot of the times just like a small percentage of the money actually goes out to do anything and the rest of it just goes to pay the people to run the thing that's ah, nuts <laughs> Exactly right. I mean, a lot of them have crazy fixed costs, you know, that they have to overcome and then they're paying fundraising people big salaries to yeah. fundraise. And it's just, that was one of the big things we want to do with Guardian was not have that be the model, right? Yeah. The model is like adult memberships pay all of the fixed overhead for the organization. So sure. as new donations come in, all or almost all of it with our old space, it was all of it. Eventually we'll get back to that point with the new space that all of it, 100% can go right into the kids and right into the programs. I love the fact that you're using capitalism to fund this thing. I mean, the adults are paying. It's not just donation baits, it's membership it's based. It's like, this is a this is a great gym. This is a good value for 200 bucks a month. This is a really good value. 
Um, this is capitalism, I think. You please correct me. Capitalism working really, really well the way you've used it to fund a community nonprofit. I use the word volunteered socialism. I don't know if that's a real thing. I just made it up. But right. Let's talk about that. We need to, as a society, if we have wealth and we have resources, we need to volunteer some of those, right? Mm -hmm. Someday people will take them if we don't anyway. That's just how it works. Yeah, that's true. So Hard to argue with that point. Why don't we do a better job of not maximizing everything, right? Like yeah. Some of the greatest programs that exist or coolest things in a community are from someone who didn't try to maximize everything. A landlord who let you live at under market rent. Uh -huh. They already own 10 houses. They're already uh -huh. good and they're happy that you're yeah. happy and they let you yeah. pay $300 less on your rent every month and everybody wins, right? It's it's like this greed. It's this never ending greed. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were like, you should charge more for your memberships. I was like, maybe, probably we could, but why? Like people want to donate more. They can Donate more. Yes, I mean, if you're charging less, they'll be more prone to do donate. And then the other thing is everybody's like, well, how do you measure? Like, how do you know who to charge what? And what about the parent who can afford it? I go, who am I to look at somebody's finances? That parent might make 250 grand a year in the Bay Area and still be poor because they're trying to buy a house. They would never qualify for any program if you wrote it out on paper. Yeah. But they might be supporting their sick mother in Los Angeles right. while they have two kids here. And you know, one of them has to go to private school because of a learning disability and they're living in debt and the, the mom and dad each make 200 grand a year. Right. That's like not crazy in the Bay Area. So I just think it's lowering the barriers to entry, not mm -hmm. trying to maximize it, not make mm -hmm. people jump through hoops and forms and right. complicated math equations to qualify for a program, but just say, look, you're on the honor system. And are some people going to abuse it? Yeah, they will. Some right. people that could afford a $150 membership are paying 129 or 99 right. Okay. That's on that like, I mean, again, yeah. who am I to judge that person who's saving up for their first house or you know their first wedding or whatever it might be? Like, yeah. I was in that position eight years ago when yeah. I moved here. I just think if we left people a little bit more on the honor system, people typically do the right thing instead of trying to police everything and maximize everything to the highest level of greed. The thing that, that always bothered me about socialism was it's sort of like top down thou shalt and this is the way you're going to do it. I don't like the way it feels. I just don't like government telling me what to do. You've set up something that is, how do you raise people's consciousness to get to that point where they're just going to, I'm going to give to this and I'm going to, I'm going to give back. Like, what do you do? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not smart enough to, I think, answer that question eloquently other than that. I would just say that the more authentic something is, I think the easier it is for someone to get behind it. Again, most of our donations are not coming from, you know, 75 year old grandma who donates to the United Way and right. has for the last 40 years. Our donations are coming from people who do martial arts, who instinctively get it. The other adults who are just in our actual program and naturally love what they're doing because they see it every day. That makes the volunteering and the desire to help a lot easier, I believe, than just trying to do something again that's just not as authentic and more sporadic, more spread out. I see it as connected to this idea of natural mentorship where people are going out and creating projects they're passionate about and then the other people around them feel that vibration. Like I used to work for this organization called the Berkeley Chess School. Mm, and heard of them? Yeah, and they do after school stuff and a lot of the stuff they do is in the inner city. They went to donate a bunch of equipment to San Quentin and they're just so passionate and so, because they all love chess, mm -hmm. you know, just like y'all love jujitsu and people just, the money just sort of comes. Maybe the solution is passion, that people are not pursuing their passions enough on the planet. Because I think it, passion is contagious. I agree. I think the way that you succeed nowadays is by not doing maybe what your parents would have thought you should have done. <laughs> yeah, it's a different grandpa world. grandpa suggests, but like create your own thing. I mean, yeah. like all the most successful people, when Joe Rogan started podcasting, he didn't start podcasting because he was going to make $100 million a year in 2019 podcasting. Right. He did it because he wanted to talk to his friends about subjects that he was interested in. Yeah. And that's how Joe Rogan got big. If he would have started off trying to be what he is today, it would have never happened. That same example goes for so many different things, I think, in life, right? The people who start something that's unique and authentic to them, oftentimes not even understood at the beginning. It doesn't uh -huh. make sense to their parents or their peers. Uh -huh. Those people end up A, being happier uh -huh. and B, far more successful than the folks who are trying to copy or replicate something that you know is already there. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Why the name Guardian? The name was the genesis of that there's a guard in boxing, uh -huh. there's a guard in jiu-jitsu, okay. and every kid needs a guardian. 
Oh, okay. So it was kind of like this with boxing and jiu-jitsu being our two starting sports and then having a natural fit there. Um, let's talk about Baltimore for our last piece. What's going on with that? And how the heck did that come to being? Why all the way over there? Expansion has always been the question ever since we opened that a lot of folks have asked of, well, do you want more guardians? And pretty simple person, I think, especially when it comes to business, which is like, hey, like keep it as absolute simple as possible because when you introduce too many things, it makes it hard. Particularly for what we're doing, nearly impossible. And Eddie Bravo talked about this idea with 10th Planet. And somebody said, why don't you have a 10th Planet school in Chicago or whatever city it was? And he said, uh-huh. and just put an ad on Craigslist and have a teacher start teaching and opening up a school. I need the right teacher, the right demeanor, that understands my system, that has the intangible skills. Uh-huh. And, you know, take that same thought that he has about 10th Planet and then multiply that by 100 with what we're doing Guardian, right? Where there's a fundraising component, there's kids, there's a lot of care that needs to happen. There's... Uh-huh specialized accounting, things like that. So uh-huh. one of my best friends in the world is this guy named Carlos Raba. And I met him at Yamasaki Academy in DC. We started training around the same time. Carlos is an immigrant from Mexico. He came here when he was 16 or 15 because his mother was a journalist and uh, his father was murdered. His mother was a journalist who brought the kids here to re- escape um, political persecution. Just has an amazing attitude. He's super bubbly and fun. And when I first met him, he was working at Giant, uh, which is basically a big food food grocery store chain over there. He told me he was going to open a restaurant in Baltimore. I was like, oh my God, this guy is crazy. Like a manager at Giant you know, helping stock shelves and be more efficient within the store. And you're going to open a Mexican restaurant in Baltimore. Like this sounds like an absolute disaster. <laughs> Well, fast forward to today, five years or whatever, he has the number one restaurant in Baltimore. They sell $70,000 a week of tacos and mezcal. Oh. <laughs> He's won every- I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> He's won every award under the sun for, you know, best chef in Baltimore, all the way to like, you know, top 10 chefs on the East Coast, like uh-huh. the whole thing, right? Uh-huh. He is even more passionate than he is about cooking and about the restaurant, about jujitsu. I mean, this guy trains like an absolute maniac four or five days a week, lives and breathes jujitsu. He uh-huh. just got his black belt two weeks ago under Vincente Jr., who's under De La Riva. And he uh, has been talking to me for a long time about wanting to do this. And so we kind of came up with this idea. We would you know, start a separate nonprofit in Baltimore. Uh-huh. He would run. That way, we weren't mixing funds between the organizations that we didn't take. We're not taking Bay Area donations and sending them to Baltimore right. or vice versa. So, we're essentially licensing the Guardian name and the Guardian blueprint and the Guardian mission so right. Carlos can start Guardian Baltimore. Awesome. It'll have a, its own tweaks on the mission. So, instead of boxing and jiu jitsu, he's starting with yoga and jiu jitsu, a 4,000 square foot space. We found a abandoned building uh, oh. on the same block as his restaurant. Wow. So he can (laughs) essentially park his car, go in the restaurant, go over to class, come back to the restaurant. He's super excited. So that's been being built out for the last six or seven months. The cost of doing business in Baltimore is so rational compared to what it is in the Bay Area. So taking an abandoned building that's 4,000 square feet and turning it into an absolutely beautiful gym. And of course, Carlos has really managed and pulled a lot of strings in this process from all the favors that he's been owed over the years from getting people drunk and feeding them tacos. <laughs> I mean, the, the rent is going to be like $900 a month once right. it's built out, which is, you know, we pay $16,000 a month for this Ooh, space just to wee. put it into perspective. <laughs> and he did the entire build out for about $65,000 from literally like rock concrete floors with no heat and no uh-huh. electric and whatever to like full on yoga rooms with wood floors and jujitsu mats and two bathrooms and front desks and eating and the whole thing. Wow. So makes me want to go to Baltimore. Yeah. When's it opening? Uh, the tentative date is mid January. So it's not far away at all. It's just getting the finishing touches on now. The mats are being installed. The heat's being installed. All the like drywall and electric and um, foundational work and all the hard stuff is done. So you know how these things work. It might get pushed out a few weeks, but early 2020. There are a lot of community interest in it. There's an absolute ton there, right? And yeah. you know, a lot of it is you know because of Carlos and again his standing, if you will, in the community, a guy who's right. been helping everybody else for the last five or six or seven years to right. you know help them with their fundraisers and their programs and be the person on the other side. There's sort of a whole long list of people that he again can kind of naturally and authentically tap into because uh-huh. he's 
part of that community. Uh -huh. um, he has the relationships with the city. He's got relationships with Orioles and Ravens players, with Under Armour, with a lot of the creatives. Baltimore has a lot of creatives in that city. Uh -huh. A lot of people flock there because of the cost of living, artists and people like that. So he's kind of got this really great group of people that are in that restaurant creative ecosystem. We get a lot of calls and emails every day, uh, every week now about, you know, are you expanding Guardian? How do I start this in my own area? Right. I think it's not as complicated as people want to make it. It's huh. certainly a lot of work. Don't right. get me wrong, but it's not impossible. And I had no experience starting a nonprofit, no experience running a gym. It's the one foot in front of the other thing. Like just start the process and yeah. get going and try to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But you're just kind of looking for answers forever and looking for someone to serve you a magic bullet for this. Like that's not going to happen because it's like kind of a complicated thing that's going to be unique to your area and everything. Uh -huh. But my ultimate goal has always been from the beginning to not put guardians around the world, but just create a program and show that it could be successful and then let other people take their own spin on it and run with it. And nothing would make me happier than to see something better than guardian, you know, open up in another location that's doing things like this, helping kids, helping people in the community, and we'll all learn from each other. And that's one of the things I'm most excited about Baltimore is like Baltimore is going to experiment with things and do right. different programs and have a different spin on it. And we're going to learn from them. They're going to learn from us. And there's going to be like this friendly competition almost for just making it better and spreading the mission to the, because it only takes one person. Dave Clayhan, who owns Half Gracie Berkeley, he uh, just started Half Gracie Mongolia, which is his what? nonprofit in Mongolia. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> And, Mongolia. Yeah. And part of the reason he did awesome. it is because of, well, a large part of the reason I think is that he saw what we were doing at Guardian, right? right. And he told me, he's like, I want to do this in Mongolia. And yeah. he had a kid come up to him. It wrote him a letter a few months ago and said, you changed my life. I want to be like you when I grow up. I want to help kids like me. I didn't have anything to do until you did this for us. So a guy all the way on the other side of the world, basically, wow. Dave said, he said, I, makes me want to double down. I want to double down on on what I'm doing now because I know just that one kid alone, and he's got 50, 60, 80 kids in his program and they're already right. tough. And he said, just that one kid alone, just that one letter alone makes me know it was worth it. It makes me want to double down my efforts and resources to make it even more successful. And there's no reason that we can't just do this all over the world. And they're not going to be guardians. We just need people like Dave to do it in Mongolia right. and Joe Smith to do it in Mississippi and Susie to do it in Sweden. Sure. And we could create a network all over the world of guardian-like gyms. There's no reason not to. Well, Ben, this has been really cool. Um, I didn't say much because I was really <laughs> I was like, wow, this is this is a lot more than I thought it was. Um, I'm really, I'm kind of blown away. Now I'm going to go train and probably get completely destroyed by your um, your athletes here, and uh, I'll probably have some 15 year old kid uh, putting me in reverse triangle mount reverse mount triangle or something like that. That thing would make me happier than choked <laughs> out by one of our 15 year olds. Oh God. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Ben. I appreciate you coming in. What's your name? Santi. Santi? Yes. How old are you? I'm 17. Um, so pretty much I get free training, like, and they teach me how to box properly and get in shape. And how has this place benefited you? It's benefited me because it's somewhere to where I can come and have, like, an extracurricular activity to do, but don't so much have to worry about not having enough much money to participate. How has it changed you? So, like, being here... I saw like, I'm just like first shy and not really want to do stuff, but everybody here is so welcoming and friendly. So it's like giving me more push to come out my shoe. Um, I'll probably say I'm more outgoing now, more willing to talk to people and ask for help. And I usually wouldn't do that. I'll usually say to myself. How's, how's life outside of here? Are you doing okay out there in the world? Yeah, I think I'm doing okay. I'm just trying to find my way around, see what I want to be. Um, well, I want to be a traveling RN. So I'm going to start taking classes at Merritt College in June towards being at. Okay. Well, thanks. Is there anything else you want to say? Um, that this is just a great program, and I'm glad that it's here. Yeah, me too. So tell me your name. Carlos. And Carlos, how old are you? 11. And uh, how long have you been doing? You do jiu-jitsu? Not that long, about like three months. How's it helped you? Um, so there was a kid who was messing with me and he wouldn't stop touching me and I told him to stop three times and he wouldn't stop so I had him get him on the ground and get him in an arm bar. This is at school? And then I got suspended for a week. Did you break his arm? No. I wish. Is it <laughs> and and uh, he doesn't mess with you anymore? No. <laughs> what do you like about jujitsu? What's your favorite move? I don't know. I like a lot. I like umaplata. Do you like umaplata? I've never heard of that. you never done that? I do, I do a lot of jujitsu myself. Black. Black? Yeah, I'm black. Do you have your belt with you? Yeah, it's in there. It's over there. 
You want to see my black belt? <laughs> Why do you want to see my black belt? I don't know. Because it's a black belt. All right, we're going to go over there and look for my, look at my black belt. He wants to see my black belt. I don't know why. Because this is... <laughs> You're funny. Oh, that's my black belt. How come you have no stripes? Because uh, I've only been a black belt for about a year. And it takes a couple of years to get your stripes. All right, thank you, man. All right, you're welcome. What's your name? Mandy. And what do you do here? Kids jujitsu. How old are you? Eleven. How long have you been here? Probably over eight months. The favorite thing I can do is I can make friends with other people, okay. and um, we get to fight each other. <laughs> what do you like about fighting each other? It's just fun. You like fighting your friends? Yes, I get to strangle people. Isn't that glorious? Yes. What do you like about strangling people? I have no idea. I just like doing that. <laughs> 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 and is your life better since you started doing jujitsu? Yeah, because I can actually beat my friends because I'm the weak one in my whole group. So I'm small, yeah. tiny, very weak. Yeah. And it's hard for me to do a lot of things. Okay. What else has been good for you since you started doing jujitsu? Uh, things. Just things? Just ubiquitous. Yeah. Just, just like someone wrote a put a smiley face on your forehead, that thing? No, I did that myself. Did you? For those of you listening at home, Mandy has a smiley face drawn under her forehead. <laughs> How long do you want to stay in jiu-jitsu? You want to get your black belt? I don't think I'm going to be able to make it, but I'll try. Why don't you think you'll be able to make it? Uh, because that takes a long time. So? That was patience. Well, do you think you'll learn patience by doing jiu-jitsu? Probably. Have you gotten better since you started? What have you gotten better at? Patience. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, listen, thank you. Thank you. So I am here with... Sasha Feynman. And what do you do here? I am the managing director of Guardian Gym and also sit on the board of directors with Ben. What kind of stuff do you see day to day here that blows you away? The transformation of kids in terms of their attitudes, what they think is and is not possible. Kids who come in and they, they see people hitting mitts or the speed bag on the boxing side or they see people grappling on the jiu-jitsu side. And even now with our strength and conditioning facility, they see people moving a lot of weight and they are generally pretty awestruck by one or two or all of those things. And they see it as an extraordinary skill set. And then little by little, if they're consistent, they start to see how these things are not secrets or magic tricks they're just earned by hard work and every once in a while you see kids who are willing to put in the time and they do uh, little by little start to figure it out and enjoy the benefits of that transformation and that that's the really really cool thing that I get to see on a very regular basis it's the same transformation I experienced when I first started training, it was just all these big guys doing these impossible things, <laughs> tackling each other, slamming each other to the ground, choking each other. And I was unbelievably intimidated by it uh, and thought not only could I never do that to somebody else, but I would never be able to survive if somebody tried to do it to me. And here I am, I don't know, 12, 13 years later, and I survive. And every once in a while, I manage to do it to somebody else. And that going from point A to point B, that doubt in my ability to accommodate myself to this hobby, this lifestyle. It just makes me realize not to be intimidated by the first blush and to believe in my own ability through consistency to, to achieve what it is that I set my mind to. Is there anything else you wanted to add about what you've seen or your experience here that touches your heart? I think one of the most extraordinary things about really good fight gym, jiu-jitsu academy, MMA gym, boxing gym, this is something as a black belt and as a therapist that maybe you can relate to, but the social bonds that I've seen formed in fight gyms and BJJ academies, MMA gyms, they are second in strength and loyalty only to bonds of blood, only to bonds of family. And the thing that always mystifies me, but almost in the most beautiful way is how you can rally a community around the idea of punching each other in the face, strangling each other unconscious. And in the pursuit of learning how to do those things, people simultaneously bond themselves to each other so that they will do anything for each other. You lost your job. I'm calling my boss first thing tomorrow morning to see if I can get you a job. You can't afford rent at your place. You're crashing on my couch as long as you need uh, until we get this sorted together. And these are things that I just see. I see a degree of selflessness and charity in fight gyms that goes above and beyond what I see in any other environment. To me, it's one of the things that make this profession this calling so very very special awesome well thank you thank you so devon has been with us since almost the very beginning since he's aged out of the program he's now over 18 so to keep his membership free at the gym he now works as caleb zuke in kids class two times a week but yeah i help assist with the kids class um, every tuesday and friday so yeah just giving back so that guardian can provide me in exchange for a uh, 
membership since I am over 18. How old were you when you started? 15. How did it change your life? It's definitely helped me with my confidence. It's not just the skills I've learned in jiu-jitsu, boxing, and all the martial arts provided here, but it's the confidence, discipline, and just the way I talk to people overall. And just, you know, dealing with uncomfortable situations every time I come into the gym. Like what? Oh, tell me a story. Oh, getting whooped in jiu-jitsu. That's, that's an uncomfortable situation. How do you deal with getting whooped in jiu-jitsu? You get better. You, you analyze what you've done wrong and then capitalize on it. You get better and then you come into the gym the next time. Can you um, draw me a picture of your life before jiu-jitsu? 15, a freshman and no, sophomore in high school, homeless. and Homeless? Yes. So before I found Guardian, uh, I was living hotel to hotel after a robbery um, that occurred when I was living in East Oakland. During that time, um, a robbery made us evict our own house, and we were forced to live hotel to hotel. Me and my mom <laughs> and my little brother, she's a single parent. We were living hotel to hotel because, you know, the barrier, it's so hard to find an affordable place. During that time, I found Guardian, and Guardian really made me feel like I, I did have a home during that time. And what does your life look like now? <laughs> Let's see, stock investor, grappler, but yeah, I'm, I'm into stocks, investing, finance. What? I'm in college, Berkeley City. My final year before I transferred to UC Davis. And where do you live? Richmond. In what, apartment? No, house. So you guys made it work. You figured it out? Oh, after a course of two years, we, yeah. My mom, um, she worked her, her way up. Oh, yeah, yeah. The gym, they gave me a job. How old were you? 16 through 17. Uh, it wasn't just the gym that gave me a job. It was one of the gym members at the gym who gave me another part-time job at their restaurant. So I was able to make dual income, help my parents. So that was kind of like the, he talks about the community mentorship thing where you just naturally meet people who help you out. Yes, that is the prime example in my life of mentorship beyond training. So you help support your mom and your brother, is it? Yes. That's a hell of a story, dude. What do you, what's next for you? What are you doing next? Next, I'm majoring in econ, transferring to Davis at the, by the end of this year. Honestly, I don't know where I see myself, but right now, I just like making money. <laughs> Making money is good. I think that'll do it, dude. Um, that's pretty cool. Okay, who are you? Hi, my name is Brandy. I am one of the boxing coaches, and I help manage the gym. And you were telling me about Guardian Bucks. What, what is that? Yeah, so we have a lot of kids that come in, and they're looking for snacks, or they're looking for gear. You know, and I know you and Sasha talked about the program, but these are sometimes kids that don't have food in the fridge, um, and they're free bars, you know, kind of their snack for the day. Or they're looking to have their own gear and not have to borrow gear. So we are assigning chores with dollar values. Sweeping the parking lot might be a $10 or $20 chore. Windexing the mirrors might be a dollar chore, taking out the trash. And these will have a dollar for dollar face value. So they'll have to hang on to their money, and they will have to decide what what is more important to them? Do they want a $2 bar every day or do they want to save up their money and do some chores and buy a nice pair of gloves, even a brand new gi, custom logo gi? So we're going to start that today. And it's also really beneficial because as a nonprofit, we rely on our volunteers. And if we can get the kids to help and take a little bit of pride in it and then give them true rewards, you know, material rewards that they want, the t-shirts, the gloves. Is the money transferable to actual money? No. <laughs> yeah. Ali is, uh, lives in the gym, he's, there's weeks where he's genuinely here seven days a week, he will take jujitsu and then immediately start strength training, picking up weights and doing bicep curls. Ali's family comes from where? Where would you guys immigrate from? Uh, Yemen. He's a Yemeni fan, and this boy, we all agree, and he has heard us say this, that this is a boy who is destined for great things. So, um, Ali, Ben has got some questions. Uh, how long have you been jujitsu? Uh, I've been in jiu-jitsu for like a year. And how old are you? I'm 11 years old. Uh, what's changed for you since you started doing jiu-jitsu? How's your life different? My life was different because I lost a bit more weight and I've been able to take a bit more hits and uh, learn how to uh, defend myself. I only use it uh, if it's like self-defense. Yeah. If I can, I get here as early as possible and I do some training like I lift weights or I get prepared for class. And then after class, uh, I would stay, uh, do some more weights, pull-ups, and then come into the classroom that we have and do homework. When Ali is in the class, the rest of the class feels it, and there's a degree of seriousness that occurs just because his seriousness, which he's trying to learn these things, spills over and infects the other students in the class. That's one of the things that 
makes him such a special student, the fact that he can have that effect on other people to sit up, pay attention, and get real for a minute about the real things we're trying to teach. Is that true? Uh, yes, it is. Can you talk about that? Sometimes, like, I goof around some days, but, like, I try to keep it under control and stop uh, once it gets, like, too far out of hand. And if I, uh, if I see my friend talking, the coach is trying to instruct something, uh, I just tell them to, like, like be quiet and then pay attention so that we know the move when we drill. Wow. I was never like that <laughs> at your age. <laughs> As, how has your life outside of here changed besides weight loss? It really affected me because I felt like I, was, I could do something, like, after school other than homework and then just sit around and watch YouTube. Are you more confident? Mm-hmm. Does your jiu-jitsu come up in the real world at all or you just keep it here? No, I just keep it here. Okay. Yeah, I haven't had like a self-defense situation ever since I came to the gym. Uh, what's your favorite move? My favorite move would probably be would probably be the sit-up sweep because then you can end up in mount the and then sweep. yeah 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 it's a good one. Yeah, you can end up in mount and then do a arm bar from there. What do you want to say to children out there about jujitsu? It doesn't matter how small your goal is, trying to achieve it. If it's like trying to get a stripe or even just like trying to pay attention when the coach is giving instructions, go for it. And then you can go for bigger goals like getting a stripe on your belt and working your hardest on test days or even getting a new belt once you have uh, reached that limit. Okay. Well, thank you so much, ma'am. So I'm here with Alicia. And Alicia, what is your role here? I am a case specialist here. <laughs> Are you an MFT as well? I am. I'm an MFT. I'm working towards my licensure. Tell me about what you do here and what it looks like. Okay, so it started off as we were able to identify some kids and some youth that trained through our programs offered here. There were things going on in their personal life that were sort of impacting their day-to-day -day life and even the ability to train. I started volunteering here. Uh, Sasha called the first kid, came up and uh, showing signs of like depression and whatnot. And so I just started to be a, a resource. I acted as a resource, somebody that they could come and talk to when they were going through some issues, connecting them with resources like a therapy, also helping them navigate the system to get connected with psychiatrists if uh, medication was needed. I also just kind of served as like a point person that they could check in with from time to time if they needed somebody to talk to. So that's sort of how it started. Then we started getting more kids <laughs> that were you know, confiding in Sasha and then the other coaches about things that were going on in their personal lives. And they just sort of looped me in and they were like, hey, how would you feel about me sharing what's going on with Alicia? And that's sort of how it happened. And then they created this position for me. So I can come here and act officially, not on a volunteer basis. Yeah, just an additional resource, you know, connecting kids with mental health services, helping families also navigate systems. It can be working with kids to set up goals in their own personal lives. Sometimes this is the only safe space that our kids have at school. You know, they may not have somebody to turn to at home. They might not have somebody to turn to and to talk to. So I'm that person. I'm not providing therapy services. You know, I'm doing sort of one-on-one -on -one coaching, helping it's a, a like it's like a drop-in center where kids can come in and check in and just like you know I don't feel like training today like I had a really bad day okay let's talk about it. Can you talk in general terms because of course confidentiality is key about what kind of changes you see in the kids that come into this program? Even so, my daughters also train uh -huh. here, and I've seen their self-esteem and self-confidence improve greatly where they were both like really shy now they have more confidence they're able to connect better with others also i just find it like for the girls i've seen them become really empowered and just feeling stronger in that building their self-esteem and their self-confidence for some of the youth that i've worked with here also it's been a space where in my experience with the youth that i've worked here as a case specialist and volunteering it's been a space where where 
they receive unconditional positive regard. They're learning how to channel whatever emotions they have in in a positive way. They they're using this as an outlet to like release whatever it is that's going on in their outside world, but in a positive way. I've seen also just reinforce like healthy relationship dynamics, how to engage with other people. Just again, a, a really safe space where they feel yeah, just safe. Like they can trust the people here. Like they come to us, they, they open up to us in ways we also, I've, you know, helped facilitate conversations between the youth and their family when their family may not really understand what might be going on in regards to like their mental health or other areas of their life. You know, we can serve as sort of that buffer and they, the families have really grown to trust us because we look after their kids here. And you do boxing or jujitsu or which one? I tried jujitsu, but it's really hard. I used to train capoeira too. So it was like, but I, yeah, I've always loved boxing. So Boxing is cool. I wish I, if I had more time, I would do it. If I had more time, I'd do more jujitsu. See, you have to choose. I can't. I, I can't be everywhere. All right. I think that's good. Well, thank you so much. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> it's just a podcast. Right? <laughs> Did I? Who's going to be doing the game? Cricket. <laughs> are you actually on film? Oh <laughs> Guys, he's not recording. He's actually testing the air for. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for listening. Pertinent information stemming from this podcast will appear in the program notes. Should you have any questions or would like to be a guest on my show, you may contact me at benjaminrusick at gmail.com or go to my website at benjaminrusick.com. I encourage you to subscribe, share, and all the rest. Thanks again, and remember, whenever you find your plate is full, sometimes you need to push a few things off to the side, and sometimes you just need a bigger plate. <laughs>